preaching this morning on batteries not included. Now, Steven Spielberg has made a movie about it that I believe is opening today. Now, I'm a great Spielberg fan. Uh, now, I don't know who thought of batteries not included first, Spielberg or Fanning, but he thought of the color purple first, and I preached on it. So I'm going to take credit for batteries not included, and he made a movie about it. So either way, the word is getting out. Um, you've all had it happen to you. If you are a parent, uh, you have had it uh, happen to you. And I want to describe this um, kind of delicately. Uh, on a Christmas Eve a number of years ago, Steve was about three, Mike was about six, maybe two and five, whatever. Uh, on Christmas Eve, they'd gone to bed and gone to sleep. And Martha and I were sitting up about 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock and uh, doing what parents do on Christmas Eve about 12 or 1 o'clock. And eating cookies and drinking milk. And <laughs> suddenly, I realized batteries not included. I said, Martha, I'll be back in a little while. I jumped in the car. This is a true story. I jumped in the car, and it was not like it is now where you had convenience stores and grocery stores that stayed open all night near you. There was no such thing at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. The closest thing I could find was, it was either Charles Pharmacy or um, Laurel Heights Pharmacy, right down here near the church, which is about 10 or 15 minutes at least from our house, that was open at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning to get batteries. So I went down there, and I came back in. I walked in. Martha had this startled look on her face. She looked at me, and she said, Buckner, do you realize that you have been to the store in your pajamas? And I had. She said, you should have worn a bathrobe or something. I said, Martha, at 2 o'clock in the morning, who cares? I mean, nobody said anything to me. In fact, I think everybody else down there had pajamas on too. They're, nobody at that hour cares about anything but batteries. And I tell you what, when you've got everything but batteries, that is the big word, isn't it? You know, that's the way it is in our world. We've got everything but power. We really do. We've got all the equipment. We've got education. We've got government. Science. Technology. Money, religion, law, we have everything, except something or someone to make it work, to give it power. It's like an automobile without spark plugs, that's our culture. I mean, it's big and bright and shiny and beautiful and has all of the appointments, everything but fire, everything but light, everything but ignition. 
So we go out and push and push and a few people will ride and then they'll switch places. And that's called an election. And we'll push some more and we'll push some more. Push and we make a little headway and think we're making great progress when we don't have any internal combustion, any internal power, any, as our Quaker friends would say, inner light. Albert Schweitzer said, if you want knowledge without values, get an almanac. If you want information without motivation, get a computer. We have those, don't we? We have knowledge. We have information. We're confused about values and motivation, and you know why. We have no light. And when light comes, suddenly knowledge and values and information and motivation begin to work together to make it work, move, accomplish, and do. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born of the, the king of the Jews? We saw his, his light star in the east. And we have come to worship him. If we're ever going to see reality, we must have that inner light of the Spirit of God. There's a lot, of, a lot of illusion about life, isn't there? We talk often counseling with people, working with people, how so many individuals practice what's called deniability. They are unwilling to admit that they're trying to live life without light, without insight, without power, without illumination. And they keep believing that if you can just get enough people to push it fast enough, it somehow will get started. This illusion of success that we have. You know, you can attend all of the, at Christmas, there are a lot of illusions about Christmas. You can, uh, you can attend all of the festivities and all of the parties and all of the banquets and all of the music and everything. And that's fine. I'm not knocking that at all. We do that. I'm not criticizing that at all. Uh, suppose we'd been alive in the first century and decided to go to the great pageant at the Shepherd Hills in the big amphitheater they have built there and you sit up there and you listen to angels sing. And there are real live sheep out there. And there are real live shepherds out there. And you hear angelic music. And you marvel at it. And you leave the pageant to go shopping at the East Star Mall. To buy gifts. Gifts. Parenthetically, let me just insert a, a, a quick idea. There is no record in the New Testament of the wise men giving gifts to each other. Now, they may have done it because when the light of love gets into your heart, you start spreading it around to other people. But the record says they gave gifts to him. What, 
Wouldn't it be strange to go to a birthday party for somebody and give all of the guests a gift and not give the honoree anything? We wouldn't do that at Christmas, would we? Or would we? So they go to the East Star Mall and they buy gifts and they are invited to an open house at the Bethlehem Hilton. And they go. It was later named the Inn of the Wise Men. But they go there and they have a party. Nothing wrong with parties. I've been to some, going to some more. It's wonderful. And, and at the party you could stand around in the grand ballroom of the Bethlehem Hilton and talk about the problems of the day. Talk about the administration in Rome. Caesar, Augustus, has this thing all messed up. We didn't need this census. What we need is a new administration and our problems will be solved. And speaking of problems, what about Herod? I mean, he has gotten us into an economic crisis beyond anything we have ever had before. Herod is for the birds. Don't tell him I said that. He can get angry. Oh, And do you know that the Bethlehem shepherds were defeated by the Tiberius Tigers? <laughs> and they're not even going to make the playoffs, let alone the Super Bowl in Jerusalem. They're out. What the Bethlehem sheep herders need is a new coach. That's what we need. We need a coach like David. Do you remember when we had David? Boy, we had winning seasons when we had David. He'd get us to the Super Bowl again. Oh, and by the way, what do you want for Christmas? What am I going to tell my husband, my wife, my spouse that I want for Christmas? And oh, by the way, have you been out back to see those, uh, that live manger scene out there? I mean, they're real live refugees out there. And they're living there. And, and the, the, the real woman and a real man and a real little baby and real animals. Have you been to the manger scene? Have you heard the music? Have you bought gifts? That's fine. That's wonderful. And there's not anything wrong with that. I'm not talking about that being evil. I'm talking about that being inadequate To go to the manger and not meet the man. To hear the music but not hear the message. To hear the song but not meet this Savior. It can happen to us. We can get all caught up in all of the festivities and the celebrations as wonderful as they are and miss Him. And may God help us to see with the eyes of wise men illuminated by the Spirit of God. May He help us to see beyond all of these symbols to the Savior. Beyond all of these evidences to the Christ. And to know Him and to meet Him. We have come to see Him. You see, I'm, I am persuaded that a lot of people saw that star and a lot of people heard the music that never got to the manger. There was nothing exclusive about the star for the wise men. There was nothing exclusive about the music for the shepherds. They heard it and responded to it. That was the difference. 
That's the difference now. We hear it. We see it. Some respond. The Bible calls them wise. Illuminated by the Spirit of God to see reality. And it takes the illumination of the Spirit of God, it takes that light, that inner light, to see meaning in little things. Little things. Goodness, we, we worship size, don't we? We, we border on being pagan in, in our value system. Big. What's big is better. We do, don't we? That subtle, insidious tendency there with all of us. It's part of our culture. We're, we're immersed in it, surrounded by it. We miss God in ordinary things, ordinary places like stables, offices, hospitals, homes, little ordinary things. Uh, I got to imagining the other day what happened to the wise men after they got back home to Persia and uh, over near the Caspian Sea. When they got back after this long journey that probably took them three or four years and they got back and their friends knew that they had left following this gleam, following this dream, following this star to go meet a king, to go meet a savior. And they came back. And in my imagination, I saw them out at the Caspian Country Club one afternoon on the shores of the Caspian Sea having played golf and talking with some of their friends. And their friends wanted to know where they had been and what they had done. And uh, they said, well, we, we had a fantastic time. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Well, tell us about it. You went to see a king... Uh, tell me about his palace sitting around here in the 19th hole the Caspian Country Club. Tell us about the palace of the king you made this four-year journey to go see. <laughs> well, uh, they look at each other with that kind of knowing smile that goes on between people who have had some experience that's hard to put into words, and they, they say, well, uh, uh, to, to tell you the truth, it's kind of hard to describe it, um, well, was it a big house? Or, well, what was it? Well, no, uh, to tell you the truth, it was a, well, I've got to be honest with you, it was a stable. A stable? You mean the king was out there looking at his horse? Oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, he lived there. A king in a stable. Well, he must have been a very impressive person. Must have had great intelligence, something to legitimize this kingship. Tell us about his mind, his accomplishments, his possessions. Well, it's a little difficult to describe, but <laughs> he was a 
a baby. A baby. Well, he must have had remarkable parents. Well, there's a problem there too. Uh, we're not sure about that. And you mean to tell me, I mean, we're your friends. We've known you guys all along. You mean to sit there and tell us that you travel thousands of miles, four years to get there and back, and you gave gold and frankincense and myrrh to a baby in a manger? A refugee family displaced persons? You gave it all to them? You're not wise men. You're nuts. You're crazy. And they look at each other and kind of smile and say, well, you just had to be there. That's it. You just had to be there. And you know something? When we were there, it didn't bother us that it was a stable or a baby or that he was poor. There was light there and warmth there and life there. And I don't guess we can ever describe it. I know I can't. You just have to be there. Those little things, God and the mundane, I remember two Christmas gifts my father, Charlie Fanning, gave me very, very well. One was my first bicycle, and the other was that football I've told you about that he got from the Baylor University Athletic Department that was a real football. I mean, not a store-bought football. It was a football that real football players had played with in a game that we lost, <laughs> which we did a lot. But it was a real ball and real football players that held it. He gave me hundreds of gifts, but I remember those two distinctly. Then he gave me one he didn't even know he gave me. Happened right here in San Antonio. It didn't even happen at Christmas. It happened in the summer. My father was claims manager for an insurance company in Dallas, and he would come to San Antonio and spend a month during the years when I was about uh, 10 to 15 along in there, and he would take over the office here so that the man here in charge of the adjusters could go on a vacation and so my dad, Charlie Fanning, would come down and he would manage the office here. He'd bring my mother and my brother and we'd get an apartment. We'd stay here in San Antonio. We had, we had a great family time. Uh, we'd uh, go down to eat nearly every night at uh, the cafeteria in the Milam building, the Milam cafeteria downstairs. We'd ride down to Alamo Plaza and up there on Joski's, watch that cowboy, that lighted uh, cowboy up there on the on the top of Josky's rope that steer. How many of you remember what I'm talking about? Old-time San Antonians or visitors to San Antonio will remember that. And we played golf right down here at the corner of uh, Mulberry and Broadway when there was a miniature golf course there along with the rides and things. And every morning, every morning, my dad would get up and go to the office and I would ride with him and we would ride down on Broadway, just past the line park there, just past where the, the Chinese restaurant is now, and there on the right-hand side of, of Broadway was a toddle house. 
And Charlie Fanning and I would eat breakfast every morning together at the Toggle House. He'd drop me at Breckenridge Golf Course, and I'd go over there and I'd play golf all day long. And a lot of times, Charlie would come back by noon. He'd play nine holes with me or even more. And then we'd go get Mother and my brother Bob and go eat. And every time I drive down Broadway, I miss that toddler house. It's not there anymore. And I miss Charlie Fanning, but I still have the gift of the time and the attention and the love that Charlie gave to me. <laughs> you say, that's no big thing. You're right. But if you've been there, you'd have seen the difference. The light, the see, meaning, and little things. quick word about seeing some meaning in bad and sad things at Christmas. Does that sound contradictory? It's not. A lot of people have a very difficult time at Christmas. It's a sad time for a lot of people. And they're made to feel even more so because everything around them keeps saying joy to the world. Happy times are here again. I'm looking into the faces of a lot of people who are having a sad time because of the loss of some very important people to you. You think about them. You miss them more at Christmas. He understands that. That first Christmas was not all sweetness and light and music and angels. It was also Herod's time to kill all of the little babies two years of age and under. How many of you have children or grandchildren two years of age or under? They'd be dead. They'd be dead had you lived that day. Here is this little family being forced away from home. Two young people out on their own, alone, no place to stay. People talking about they've not been married enough, long enough to have a baby born this soon. And they're on their way to spend some time in Egypt running away to try to preserve the life of this little baby. Sad time, bad time, God's time right in the middle of it. Because he has not come as a fantasy. He has come as a reality to get into the real mangers where you and I live and deal with the real herods of sickness and horror and hurt and to work all of that together for God's good and glory and for our ultimate benefit and victory. That is exactly what he has come to do to get in the middle of life with us. However it might be and wherever it might be, and to make it work, as I read from Colossians, holding it all together and working it together for good. The angel told Joseph, call his name Jesus, or he shall save his people from their sins. Listen to that. He shall save us from our sins. Do you hear that? He's not saving us from what? God is going to do to us. That's not what he's saying. He's saving us from what our own sin does to us. 
He's not saving us from some angry God. He is saving us from these destructive passions that can rage through our lives. He has come to save us from the ultimate disaster of our own sins. He has come to get us off of our own hands. He has come to save us from our sins, to cleanse them, to heal them. Scars remain, but life, victorious, triumphant life, goes on because He saves us from our sins. How does He do it? How does He do it? As I read from the passage of Scripture, second chapter, book of Matthew, we saw His star in the east and have come to worship Him. You say, what's so unusual about that? Well, in their day, Everything new, vital, intelligent, divine came from the East. All truth, all wisdom came from the East. You can understand why our primitive forefathers saw the sun always rise in the east, and so they felt that was always the source of new light and new life and a new day and a new hope. And so everything good and everything wonderful and everything powerful always came from the east, even the maps. You look at an ancient map of the Bible lands, and do you know what is at the top of the map? The map, top part of the map does not face north, it faces east. And the Jordan River, for example, in the ancient maps does not run vertically on the map north to south. It runs horizontally east to west because all hope, all redemption, all salvation is going to come from tradition, custom, the past, from the east. And the star led the wise men west. 180 degrees from the direction they thought hope was to come and truth was to be revealed, it came from the back. Turn around and follow the light. Do you know what the word turn around means and how it gets translated in the New Testament? Repent. That's what it really means. You've been going east thinking that was the direction. There was hope. There was life. There was victory. God says, wait a minute. You've been going in the wrong direction all this time. Turn around. Look out the back door of the hotel in Bethlehem and there you'll find Him. Change the direction of your life. Repent and believe and follow the light. And following the light, meet life, eternal life. The batteries are not in the east. The batteries are in the manger, out back, on the backside of nowhere. Turn around and live. We have seen his star, and we have come. Will you? 
Would you say yes to him? I've tried my way long enough. I've walked my way long enough. I'm going to follow his way, his life, his life. Whatever changes it might mean in my life, I'm going to do it. I turn. I come. Just as I am, I come. Will you do that this morning? Let me meet you right here at the front. Accepting Christ as your Savior. Coming to move your membership into the life of this church. Rededicating your life if God so leads you. You've seen his light. You've heard the music. You've maybe even been to the manger. You've seen the living Christmas tree. Now, maybe for the first time, meet the living Christ. And he will give you life. And you, like they, will go home rejoicing.